welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I'm David Bax. And thank you for listening, David. Yes. How you doing? I'm doing okay. Um, <laughs> at the time you're here, we're recording this, at the time this is, episode is posting, assuming I get it scheduled in time, I'm uh, in wine country for my wife's, for Natalie's birthday. Oh, nice. We, uh, I, you know what? If I schedule this to go up at a normal like late Sunday, early Monday time, when you hear this, I may have already been killed in a horrific hot air balloon accident Oh! because I am going up in a hot air balloon Sunday morning. Have you ever done that before? Uh, no. And uh, I probably would have been okay going my whole life, not going up in a hot air balloon, sure. but uh, it's my wife's birthday and it's something she's always wanted to do. And it's a whole fun thing in wine country because it's like, <laughs> not only do you get, it's like an hour long ride uh, with a bunch of other people um, in a balloon, but then they take you back to the winery and give you like a champagne like breakfast and like it's a whole three hour thing that is like done at like 9 a.m. Hmm. You got to get up so, you so get the rest early. of your day. Yeah. To go back and go to sleep and then, yeah, go drink some wine and go to the any casino and do the stuff we normally do. But I'm, I'm definitely. Do you have a fear of heights? I don't think I have a. F- no. OK. You will know. We've talked about this okay. uh, many times. I don't have a fear of heights. Okay. I have a fear of my own imp of the perverse. Absolutely. There is no guard, like there's no gate or fence to keep me from just pitching myself over the edge of the basket. Yeah. If I should, you know, should the uh, inspiration take me? Sure. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, uh, that's, that's my thing is I don't know. I need, uh, I, I need uh, more of a nanny state in place. This is why I'm a liberal really <laughs> is to keep me from driving without a seatbelt or whatever. Um, just because the imp of the verse perverse tells me to, this is going to sound very dark, but it is a hundred percent true. It's one of admittedly a few reasons why I don't own a gun because mm-hmm. there could be a day when I'm like, you know what? Mm-hmm. And one way or another, that's going to lead to bad things. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, yeah. So yeah, no, I'm not, I, I don't have a fear of heights. Um, but, uh, I don't trust myself, I guess. Sure. And I think, uh, yes, I, I don't have a fear of heights. I have a fear of rickety heights by which I mean heights that I could have an impact on. Like when I was at the top, you know, when okay. you're at the top of the John Hancock building or the Sears tower, or whatever the hell it's called. Which I now. never did either one of those oh, <laughs> entire it's, it, four it's, years it's, that I lived in Chicago. It is really neat. And you know, there are times when it's just like, Oh my gosh, it's, I'm really high up. It's like, yeah, but I'm in a building and I'm behind glass and everything's going to yeah, be yeah, fine. Yeah. But if I'm at the top of a, if I'm like on the third step of a ladder, I start to get freaked out. Cause like I can impact this. Uh-huh. So it's an instance where, yes, I'm worried about me consciously doing something, but it's also like, I'm pretty incompetent in most things. I can absolutely topple this ladder by accident. And with the, uh, and with the basket, I don't think I would have much impact on the hot air balloon, but there is the, v- the very fact that we're using the term basket feels uh-huh. wrong to me. Yeah. Like, Oh, we're thousands of feet in the air in a basket. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it feels wrong. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm imagining. So it was just like wicker, just someone exactly. like weaving exactly. it, <laughs> uh, by hand anyway. Um, that's exciting. So yeah, that's what I'm doing this weekend. Uh, and obviously you will be, uh, orchestrating a, a listener meetup there in uh, wine country. And yeah, no, I'll be in Temecula. I'm telling you this because you've already, it's already happened by the time you're this. Uh, but yeah, no, I'm, uh, it's only for two nights. We okay. do, we do this multiple times a year. Indeed. Uh, we're rich now. I don't know if you knew that. Um, I've, I've gathered. Yes. No, we're, 
we're not, but that's another thing. Uh, and then we'll get, I know you have something you want to talk about, mm-hmm. but, uh, uh, I, 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 another thing I, you and I were talking off mic about like resolutions that, uh, you know, new years or otherwise, uh, that I try to make. And one thing I've tried to do is, try to do the opposite of what every other American does when it comes to, uh, how much money I make, which is to try to remember to compare myself to the people who have less, not the people who have more. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. That's why yeah, I remember this was like years ago and I can't remember what newspaper it was, but there was, uh, um, some sort of, uh, study or maybe it was just an editorial talking about like how hard it is to convince people who make like 350 grand a year or something that they're rich because yeah. they all know people way richer than them. Sure. By the time you get to that stratus, they know people who own, who who make millions and millions a year. And so they think of themselves as middle class. Yeah. And, uh, and, and that's, so it's, it's frustrating to me. Uh, so I try to remember that, um, uh, yeah, you know, you and I have friends now who are more successful. I have, I was going to say friends who own houses, you own a house. I don't own a house, although it's never really been on my checklist. Uh, I actually, I was actually recently laughing with my, telling my mom and laughing like about the fact that I told her when I was like 11 years old that I will be living in apartments. Once I'm old enough, I will be living in apartments for the rest of my life so that I never have to pull another weed. Um, Boy, I hear you. Turns out all you got to do is buy yourself a weed eater and just, uh and then it's actually kind of fun to just destroy them. But you got to go back. Yeah. But thankfully, you know, I'm not tired of it yet. But so, yeah, I just tried to remember what it was, what it was like to be broke. Cause I was, uh, you know, I, there was a Twitter thread recently on like the difference between being poor and being broke. Hmm. And I was trying to figure out where I like in my first couple years living in Los Angeles, where I fell. And I think I was probably, uh, uh, I, I, the, this woman's definition was that when you're broke, there's light at the end of the tub- tunnel. But when you're broke, it's like, I just have to make it until right here. When you're poor, there is no light. Broke I, seems te- uh, temporary. It could be yeah. a year, but yeah. And I think my, I think, I guess I was somewhere in between in that, like I often didn't have a light in the tunnel. Mm-hmm. I, you know, um, you know, at least, at least once, maybe more than once ran out of gas on the one Oh one. Uh, oh, I couldn't afford to put gas in my car, but I also like, was maybe more broke because at any point I could have called my mom and asked for money and she sure. would have given it to me. I just, uh, would never have wanted to do that. So right. I guess I was probably more broke than I, than poor, but I lived like I was poor, I guess sure. for a couple of years there. Sure. Um, Anyway, and I guess that makes me appreciate not only my experiences, but obviously having the empathy of seeing how hard things are for so many other people. Yeah, and you feel uh, like I'm doing better than they are. I'm winning. <laughs> that's, uh, it. that's what it's all about, right? Uh, no, but I mean, there is a certain, uh, like, or at least recognizing it and being grateful for your good fortune, Absolutely. I guess. And, you know, there's something that I, I'm somebody, I, I compare myself to other people constantly. Oddly enough, not financially. Um, I, I very seldom, if somebody is doing better than I am, if they're doing better than I'm professionally, then yes. But like if they have a bigger house or if they have a house in a better neighborhood, which is likely, um, Uh then, you know, it, it doesn't necessarily bother me that much. But if somebody is able to do more than I am, if they are better looking than I am, if they are doing better in their career than, than I am, usually if it's very much a function of the person 
and who they are um, and how they are viewed as a person, that's that's what I compare myself to. And, and invariably, I, I feel like I'm coming up short. And I had this realization that really helped me. Um, I still fall into the comparison trap, but like, I find myself thinking like, okay, so who are you looking at and thinking like, oh, I wish I were them. I wish I could do that. So who are you not looking at? Because while you are looking at the people that you wish you were and you're thinking like, oh, I'm falling, I'm coming up short. Mm -hmm. There is an implied, uh, comparison where you're looking at the people you're looking at other people and being like, well, I'm doing better than they are. Yeah. You know, whether it be how you look or how you're doing or whatever it is. And when you're comparing, it's very, it's, it's very, um, even if you think that you're, that you, you're falling short and you feel like I'm, I'm a piece of crap, it's still very self focused. And how am I doing? And either you're aware of where you're falling short or where, or you're unconsciously aware of how you're doing better, but that helped me a lot. Cause like, Oh yeah, there's an, there's an unspoken judgment on the people that I feel like, well, I don't, I don't envy them for their looks. Oh, what a terrible thing. But that's not a mm-hmm. thing you would ever think, right? but it's definitely what's there. And so, yeah. uh, so yeah, I, I find that like, obviously I still have uh, like major comparison issues, but I try to, I try to compare myself to myself at yeah. this point. I try to think, uh, one thing that I think about a lot is like, would 16 year old David be happy if, if I told him, if I went back and could show him, this is what your life is now, would 16 yeah. year old David be happy? And I think mostly yes. I think he'd probably think the way that I dress and the fact that I work in an office would be kind of a sellout. Oh, thing. no question. But if I, but I, I knew 16 year old, 17 year old <laughs> David and no question. Yeah. But I also think if I told him like, Hey, look, you've got <coughs> a great apartment with an awesome wife that yeah. you love and, uh, no kids. <laughs> and, uh, you also have gotten yourself to a place where you get to watch movies like for free or cheap, like all the time (laughs) you have constant access to brand new, uh, awesome, good movies. And you get to go to film festivals. I think I'd probably be more happy with my life than, than not. I think I probably would as well, but it's, it's one of those things that you, it's, there, I, I don't know. I think there's a, there's good and bad in, in everybody's life. And I think it's, you can choose. I don't think you have to choose to focus on one or the other. You can be aware of both. And like the, the 15 or 16 year old me would be like, Oh wow, you're married to in my, uh, I think a very beautiful woman who's, who's really awesome. And you have a house and you're seeing movies and you know, for some reason you managed to finagle your way like to talking to large crowds, telling them their right. product is terrible and they still <laughs> love you for it somehow. Yeah, like yeah. that's, that's really yeah. something, but it's like, yeah, but it's um, be nice to be nice to have uh, your dad around to yeah. see things and, and uh, various other people that that uh, you've lost, and it's 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 always going to be uh, pluses um, and minuses. Yeah, I'm also conveniently forgetting. I think that 16 year old me was vegan and didn't drink, and would probably be very yeah. disappointed in in some of the choices I've made uh, since. <laughs> See, I think 15 year old me. Uh, fun fact. Sorry, this one isn't fun. 
when I was young, I assumed I was going to be divorced. Like I assumed I was going to get married, that I was going to screw it up and get divorced. Oh. Now, <laughs> that's, now, still possible. Yeah. But I assumed that by 36, I would have been long divorced yeah. and then probably remarried. But certainly, certainly I would have screwed it oh, up by funny. 30. That reminds me, I remember talking about this with my therapist. We'll, we'll get to movies eventually. Uh, but I like, as a kid assumed that I would have kids when I got older mm. because that's just what everyone that I saw, like all the adults around me got married and had kids. That's just, yeah. and, it assumed what I, and like, I think when I was a kid, I kind of like looked forward to like being, uh, uh, you know, to having kids. And sure. then I, I got to a point where it was like almost giving me anxiety. Like the idea, like, Oh, I have to, at some point have kids. And I think it was, yeah. it was very freeing for me to realize like, I oh, know I don't. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and for, yeah, for me, it was the same way. I was like, this is going to kick in at some point, right? Cause uh-huh. it really isn't. And then it finally did for me and Jen, like at the same time, which was kind of nice. And then it turns out we can't, which is a bummer. Uh, but we're working on other things. Um, what wait, have you said that? You, I mean, you said, you said you were in the adoption process on the podcast before, but that might've been a revelation to the podcast oh, listener. Uh, <laughs> Oh well, whatever. Uh, like, I didn't know if you were trying to like. Oh no, it's, it's okay. not. It's a it's a sad thing. It's something yeah. that I think at some point I might have mentioned on uh, more than one lesson. But uh, yeah, no, it's a thing that one thing that in the various classes we've taken, uh, the idea of like whether it be like infertility or miscarriages or, or various other things there's no real stigma to that. Nobody looks down on somebody for being unable to mm-hmm. have a kid or, or a miscarriage or anything like that. But people still don't like to talk about it very much. And it's great. And especially, Oh, good Lord, especially in the Christian community. If you say like, I can't have a kid, people be be like, Oh, well, you know what? You can, you can still do it. Like God can do amazing things. Like I agree. Um, but I'm, I'm going to move on to this other thing now. Like, yeah. I'm, uh, you know, and we didn't do, we, we didn't do in vitro or anything. Cause that just feels like first off, it's a lot of money. That's what I learned from, uh, uh, the Patty, uh, the not Patty, uh, the Tamara Jenkins film that played, um, Sundance. It hasn't come out yet. It was amazing. It had Paul Giamatti and Catherine Hand. Oh yes. yes Why yes. am I thinking private life is what it's right, called. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds incredibly expensive. It is, and it's not a guarantee. And after a while, like there's there is this attitude that that we had, which is like, you know, for the amount of money and time that we're putting into this, for the quote unquote pride of ownership of like, I I don't judge other people who decide sure. to do it, but in my view, it's like there are kids that are in existence right now mm-hmm. that need somewhere to be yeah. and they somewhere to be like, they just need somewhere to hang out. They need a, a <laughs> home is what I meant to say. <laughs> need something to keep them well, busy. Just head on over to the Y. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so right now they're just, these babies are just <laughs> at the pool hall all day, <laughs> you know, with their cigarettes rolled up in their sleeves, uh, you know, drinking milkshakes. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I didn't mean for that to be a, a thing. And so that's, but that's an example of, yeah, not everything is peaches and cream, but things could be much, much yeah. worse. There are people who, for example, there are people who have lost their fathers that are not in the position I am. They're not married to an amazing person. They don't have a house. They don't have an awesome job. Oh, right, right. You know, there are people who have the bad things I have, and they don't have the good things. And so, like, yeah, you just have to be very 
thankful for what you do have going. Well, I have no idea how we got to this, but you had something you wanted to talk about before we got to the, the other thing. Uh, okay, it's only been 16 minutes. I thought we were edging into 25-minute territory. All right, that's not terrible. Um, sorry, everybody, for the, the darkness there. Oh, see, I thought that was very positive. I guess I said sad things. Yeah. Well, but you can I, th- uh, I think we came out of it down. okay. Exactly. Um, yeah, let, let a smile be a, your umbrella. Exactly. <laughs> now, what would 15-year-old David think of you saying that? <laughs> I think he would have laughed. He would have known that I was joking. <laughs> That's true. Um, okay. So, uh, yeah, this is not a new story. I think it's probably about, what, a week, week and a half old at this point? Sure. Um, but, yeah, uh, the Academy announced... Shortly after the the Cosby uh, conviction, mm-hmm. um, that uh, that they were kicking him out of the academy, uh, and then you know, hey, as long as we're here, let's kick Roman Polanski out as well, which bothered me not be- not the fact of it, not the fact of them kicking him out. It's understandable Mm -hmm. and they can do what they want and that's fine. I can still go and enjoy Chinatown. It's no big deal. It really was the timing of it that bothered me. And of course, you know, Hey, no time like the present. Yeah. But there's, there's, so what about the timing? There's just something about like, it feels almost opportunistic. And if it's almost like when someone says, you know, if if you apologize for doing something wrong and then someone says, are you sorry or are you sorry you got caught? Uh-huh. And it's this, like, if it weren't for the, the Me Too movement and all that, Polanski would still be, like, in good standing with them. They, like... With, with Cosby, like, hey, the minute he's proven guilty, he's gone. Right. Polanski was proven guilty decades ago and and since then they've given him an oscar yeah you know and it's just one of those things that like now obviously if you're like you do it now but it just seems like i almost feel like you don't announce it because it almost feels like you're you're congratulating yourself for doing something 40 years later that you absolutely would not have done if it weren't for all this other stuff yeah i mean uh uh i see what you're saying i i think i tend to fall in the, like you said, no time like the present, like, sure. <laughs> or, or I guess I'd fall in the camp that like, at least it got done. Um, yeah. but I don't want to, uh, you know, in the same, at the same time, I don't want to congratulate the Academy. Maybe for that's it. it. I yeah. think I, th- I do think there is something when it comes to the Academy in particular, I do think because of the huge addition to their membership mm-hmm. a couple years ago, sure. I think they kind of feel like, Oh, we're a new Academy. It's like Domino's changing the recipe or whatever. Um, <laughs> which sure. I was already too far gone, by the way, I've never had the Domino's since they said, we admit we suck. You know, it's, it's not bad. That's what people tell me. I think I, I was, hated Domino's before. Yeah. So did I. Uh, and I never went back. That's not, actually not true. I did get one of their, sandwiches once hmm. and it was terrible of <laughs> um but uh yeah um i was actually going to say something about the actual point that i was making oh the, um, the new academy and um oh yeah so the yeah so may, maybe there's a way to say like or at least maybe that's the excuse that they're sure using to the to the academy as a collective thing using to sleep better at night is that like we're new now you know this yeah. is the new us but i i think you can um, be happy that this happened while not, um, 
applauding the academy the academy as a whole i think that's probably what it is ultimately for me i'm reminded of my my reaction i know people had reactions all over the board uh speaking going back to like the what really kicked off the me too movement with harvey weinstein Mm -hmm. and what quentin tarantino said when he came forward which is uh basically admitting he's like he said he, he said um something along the lines of like I didn't know about all of this stuff, but I knew enough that I should have done more at the time. Mm-hmm. And I think I can, uh, I, I think you can on the one hand say that's great. I think it's great and shows progress that a man in his position realizes that, yeah. but I'm not about to suddenly herald him as a hero of, of right. women's rights because he, you know, ignored things. Yeah. Um, I mean like when it, Apparently, apparently, he, he, Uma Thurman had to tell him the same story about Harvey Weinstein, like uh, uh, sexually assaulting her twice before he believed her. Mm-hmm. And they're like best friends. Yeah. Um, and, and so, yeah, it, yeah. I, 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 I honestly, it, it's it's a weird comparison, but it was the first thing I thought of is that you can it, the, is the same reaction I had to to Tarantino, which was which is like I said this is good in the moment. It doesn't mean you get a pass on everything ever or that this is something that you need to like, uh, you know, you, you know, for doing essentially the bare minimum of what is the right thing. You're not going to get patted on the back. If they actually said, and, and, and this actually might be something that I might have a problem with, but if they said we are rescinding our best director Oscar for the pianist, yeah. Now, <clears throat> I might actually have a problem with that because, well, now it's, it has to do with actual work. But if they said that, uh-huh. then it's like, okay, now they're actually trying, they're acknowledging, full on acknowledging, we, di- we did something wrong. We did a mistake. Yeah. We made a mistake. This is something he never should have received because he never should have been able to make that, make that movie. You yeah. know, if they said that, then it's like, okay, now they're actually trying to erase something. But now it's like, you know what? From now on, He's out. Yeah. That just causes a headache though. I know. Because there's always, this is a dumb comparison because it has nothing to do with the very serious things we're talking about. But whenever there's like the, uh, 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 oh, you don't think the Domino's comparison? <laughs> <laughs> no, that was very germane. Okay. This one, whenever there's like a, a, a college that violates like NCAA uh, rules and they end up having like, they vacate wins. I never get like, Oh, okay. Who cares? Like you yeah. can't, you're not actually going back in time and punishing them. Like, so their record's different, but like they still, they still won. <clears throat> do you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, I, I, it, it never, like, if they were to do that, it's like, okay, well then so who won best director? Yeah, exactly. You're going to throw it to yeah. Rob Marshall. Nobody's happy about that. The, uh, the ledger is all <laughs> yeah, <laughs> out yeah. of whack now. Um, yeah, I never, like, you know what, uh, Stanley Kubrick, what do you think? Yeah, we're going to, we're going to write two wrongs here. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I, I never like it when they sanction colleges like that, but I know that's not what we're talking about. Yeah. But uh, it's, and I'm not suggesting that I would be okay with it, but again, like as since every, since this is all about gestures, uh, I feel like that would be that would be much more pointing the finger at themselves and the ways they have made mistakes. Um, but again, and it's and and yeah, it's I'm fine with like better late than never. And I have not run across a lot of I ran across a lot of it's about time. I didn't run across a lot of people being like this is hey good for them, right? You yeah, know? that's good. That's um, good. So I think that's good. But it's it's definitely something that. But, 
it's stuck in my crop, but not, not the fact of it. I really wouldn't be surprised if the dominant thinking among Academy members is what I described, which is that we're, this this is essentially a different Academy than that was. Yeah, I guess so. I hope so. Um, but also I I don't know if I do hope so because that's sort of, um, denying that you're a part of the the legacy. That's like people, uh, you know, um, I guess white Americans saying, well, like I didn't own any slaves, you know, no. but not recognizing that the institutionalized racism that has never really ended from slavery to present has benefited white people. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, it's that, that would, that seems disingenuous. And so the Academy would be a similar thing for the Academy to say like, well, this is a different Academy than, uh, than turn a blind eye to Polanski. Also, it's not a completely different Academy. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like even then, like, yes, no white people now own slaves. They can safely say that. Roman Polanski won in 2002. That was that was 16 years ago. Yeah, there yeah. wasn't a, a great purge of the Academy, uh, you know, yeah. five years ago. So, okay. All right. Uh, well, uh, let's we can move pay on. some bills. Indeed. So this episode is brought to you by Mubi, a curated online cinema that brings its members a hand-picked selection of the best independent, international, and classic films. Every day, Mubi's curators introduce a new title, and you have 30 days to watch it. That means there's always 30 wonderful films to enjoy, all for only $8.99 a month. Plus, when you use their mobile apps, you can download films to watch offline. Currently available on Mubi is Andrea Arnold's Fish Tank, starring Michael Fassbender, and a stunning debut performance by Katie Jarvis. Uh, now, David, you mentioned that you have not seen seen fish tank correct that is one i have not seen it's i saw it a few years ago um and i really really liked it it's it reminds me for reasons i can't even really put my finger on it reminds me of um uh the florida project or i guess you could say the florida project reminds me of fish tank Mm. um you know there are certain movies and tv shows that depict a certain a certain type of poverty and fish tank you know these characters they're not living in a in a motel or anything but they definitely are not doing well and they kind of have to cling to whatever provides any sort of happiness or relief from their current circumstances um and you know the characters in the florida project the the kids they are young enough that they probably have some idea that things aren't great for them but for the most part, they, they're just happy kids. Uh, whereas the character and the main character in Fish Tank, she's getting old enough to really know, like, okay, yeah, life isn't great. But it's a, uh, and it's just it's it's shot in a very, very interesting, very you know, <clears throat> photorealistic kind of way. Great performances all around, and it's not an upbeat movie, uh, as one might expect, but, uh, but I do highly recommend it. Um, so that along with 29 other movies are available at Mubi and you can, uh, there's a special offer for listeners of Battleship Pretension. You can try Mubi free for a month. Just go to Mubi.com. That's M-U-B-I.com slash Battleship, uh, to get your first month for free. Or you can go to BattleshipPretension.com and click on the Mubi ad on the left-hand side of the page. 
And I want to tell you about tweakedaudio.com, which is where you go for, for professional quality earbuds in a variety of stylish styles and colorful colors. They look great. They sound great. Tyler and I use them each and every day. Today, uh, today I was just bouncing around mostly listening to some new... Uh, Ty Siegel's got a new song. Listen to Ty Siegel. Um, but you know what you could listen to? I know. Uh, I know exactly what you can listen you to. You could uh, listen to David's Spring Playlist. Um, uh, I've... I've just stopped. I used to try to make them like nice and tight and really worry about sequencing. Now it's just like, here's everything I've been listening to for the last three yeah. months. And so now it's a, this is the longest playlist I've ever put together. Um, but I did for, because I know, <coughs> I know some people are, um, not into some of the same music I am. So I did something I've never done before. When may I have done this one once before where I put all the metal in the back half. So you could just hit That's play great. on the, on the, um, on the uh on the playlist and once it starts to get too metal for you um, you can you can stop but you'll hear all the non-metal stuff first yeah. um that's probably a good thing i know I, yeah i guess so but a part of me is like uh people should not be afraid of metal well it's not so much that it's just it's so jarring uh-huh. uh especially when you're like just listening to something and it's like oh this is very nice what the hell is going on <laughs> and uh but you know what let me suggest this if you were to actually restructure it and put like a metal song, like every four or five songs, like, and proceed it with like a really soft thing, uh, I would say that's super metal, <laughs> but I never did that either. What I know, I know I, I generally put the metal together mm. because I generally put like kinds of music together, but sometimes it'd be like, yeah, you're going to start with your folk. Mm-hmm. You're going to get into some rock and then you get into maybe some dance then some metal and then we're gonna we're gonna go out on some hip-hop or some like classical or something like that you know yeah. what i mean that's how i used to group it by like that now it's just split pretty much into non-metal and metal with a little treat at the end oh um, anyway uh i guess i know so what i'll be uh, listening to tonight tw- my tweaked audio <laughs> uh so that's where you they're available at a low low price these earbuds at tweakedaudio.com. but if you use the offer code pretension at checkout you get one third off that low low price and no shipping charges so go to tweakedaudio.com and use the offer code pretension getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with bite clear aligners Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Tyler? Yes? Let's get into it, shall we? Indeed. I'm trying to remember what we were talking about off mic last week that led to this And I think we were actually talking about it on mic, but I don't remember uh, exactly what it was. I mean, it could have been any number of things because we were just talking about either movies we'd seen or movies we wanted to see. Yeah. Uh, But yes, uh, at some point you were talking about, I think you were talking about a movie that that thought it was clever... I, the clever was, I think, my word. Yeah, I, I think when I initially started like talking about movies that do they or don't they still work once you know the plot twist? That's sure. where it started from. But then yeah. it got into just generally like movies that are clever or think they're clever, and yeah. which ones actually are and which ones aren't. 
Yeah, and you know I think I, mean? I, I, I definitely fell into focusing on the ones that think they're clever. See, I, it's, that's it's, where I started, but I ended up finding a, I have a pretty good list of clever movies that I like. I think I do too, eventually, but it certainly, as tends to happen, I started negative. Um, but first, let's do this. Because this this was helpful for me. How are we defining clever? Okay, I, I wrote down a couple of uh, a number of different ideas. Um, is it a movie that is a puzzle that there's an answer to? Right. Or is it a movie where things aren't as they seem, and then something is revealed? Okay. Um, you know, uh, it all falls into place. Uh, is it a movie that has sort of a game to it? Okay. Like. Um, I'm trying to think what my example was going to be for for a, a game type movie, uh, and now I can't find what I wrote. Um, see, I should have done this. like Sleuth. Uh, you know, I've never seen Sleuth, oh. uh, but yeah, uh, some some of those type of things um, uh, where where you know, I guess a game in a game. I said I think of something that like tells you or gives you strongly the impression there is something for you to find out here as opposed okay. to something like, you know, the sixth sense, I guess is the go-to for a twist ending yeah. that doesn't like, I mean, once you know it, it's clear, but it doesn't spend the whole movie going uh-huh. Wait for this twist. Yeah. Where, whereas like something like, this is me. I like like the machinist. Yeah. Uh, which isn't like twist isn't even the right word there, but it does tell you, it does repeatedly suggest there's something going on here. You just need to figure it out. And of course yeah. you can't, part of the game is you can't figure it out. And then it tells you. Yeah. Um, and then the last thing I put is, is it just supposed to blow your mind or be a mind fuck? I guess, you know, like I think, um, eternal sunshine of the spotless mind doesn't actually have a big like right mystery or anything to it but it's just like it's uh it's it's very clever i guess Mm -hmm. and it's meant to impress you you know maybe i should have gone with synecdoche as being something that's more of a mind fuck but um i'm not a big fan that was in my not liking it pile here i'm not a big fan of synecdoche i know i'm uh, I, I feel like every year I'm more in the minority there. I like, I, I think I like it a lot, but it's, it's one of those things that like, there's just something I think Charlie Kaufman, he needs a Michelle Gondry. He needs a spike Jones. He needs a heart to his intellect. Mm. Um, so next key New York, it does have a heart, but I, I think it's a very cold movie as opposed to eternal sunshine. Mm-hmm. As opposed to being John, being John Malkovich, which I think is incredibly emotional. That yeah, movie. yeah, um, yeah. So with with mine, yes, the vast majority of my movies, even though I didn't, I wasn't thinking in the terms you were. I just sort of arrived here mm-hmm. with cleverness. I went with the broadest possible concept, and I just, I just wrote a knowing intelligence, um, which is that's more tonal than story, yeah. but. It usually works its way into crime movies, con movies, heist movies, yeah. whatever. But I guess where I would, because I don't want, I don't even, maybe you did consider this, but I didn't include like Neil LeBute or David Mamet type stuff. Maybe some David Mamet I've would, got would some, fit. I've got Mamet in here. But um, just because the movie is smart or talks like it's smart. Right. Doesn't mean the same as what I think of with Clever. I think Clever is a movie that, I mean, maybe it depends on you agreeing that at least in this case, the movie is smarter than you are. Okay. 
Do you know what I mean? Which is why I wrote a knowing intelligence. Here's what I picture when I think of a movie being clever. All right. Uh huh. And I don't mean this whole movie. I think this moment, funny games uh-huh. when we're looking for the dog and what's his name? Paul. It's been a while, but yeah, I think Paul, he looks back at us uh-huh. with a smile. That is, he knows more than the characters. He knows more than us, but he's letting us in on it with a very knowing. I look. see. I see. And so I think, the film there's uh, clever films usually have a certain wink to them. Yeah. They're aware us. of the audience. Yeah. It's either I'm letting I'm you yeah. in, but when it comes right down to it, I know more than you do. Um, and so, so yeah, I think, and the vast majority of these are, are this, uh, of the movies I wrote down are this, there's either a twist or there's some kind of thing that needs to be figured out. Yeah. Um, so, uh, okay. So what do we, do we want to start uh, positive or negative or do we want to go back and forth? Um, maybe we should go back and forth. That's okay. kind of fun. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, but, uh, okay. Uh, in no uh, specific order, I'm not going to hit all of these cause I wrote okay. on a bunch, but, um, Memento is one that I still think is. Oh sure. I still think of positively. We could go by direct actually because Christopher Nolan shows up on both ends of my list. Interesting. More on the not like with uh, Inception and Interstellar are hmm. more on the uh, think they're clever but aren't. I think Inception a as we talked about before Inception spends way too much time explaining itself to you. Yeah. Uh, and um. Interstellar, I think, is disingenuous. I think that for a movie to have that sort of everything falls into place or that sort Mm -hmm. of full circle thing, it needs to at least feel like something that like, oh, I could have figured that out. Like, oh, now I see it. Whereas Interstellar kind of cheats by being like, well, I never would have. Yeah, I never would have gotten to that. You know, I never would have like followed the 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 path around to him being behind the bookshelf. You know what I mean? Right. Like yeah, that's, yeah. That's a jump that it makes at the end. Whereas, you know, something. Uh, 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 I don't know. I'm trying to think of uh, an example. Um, well, like a mystery, like Double Indemnity or the Maltese Falcon. Those are those are both on my list. Yeah. That like the clues are there. Mm-hmm. Not that like it's skillfully told in a way that you actually probably couldn't have figured it out while you were watching it because things are intentionally withheld from you, mm-hmm. but it feels like you could have, it feels like you were almost there when, when the things to me, to be a satisfying things fall into place type of twist, it yeah. needs to feel like I was almost about to say it myself. Do you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Yes. Yes. Yeah. So, okay. So already we, we've hit something that I find interesting, which is when I think of a movie that is clever, I think of a certain coolness and I don't uh-huh. mean cool as in like, you know, uh, fonts. I mean a certain chilliness of tone. Uh, I do not think of earnestness and yeah. interstellar is as earnest as you can get. I don't think of it as a clever movie. It, uh, and inception, while it does, it does have at its core, a relational thing. That is a film that I think is very chilly and very cool. Yeah. Um, and so that one I'm more inclined, and probably Memento as well. Um, I'm inclined to say that those are more, fit more into what we're talking about than Interstellar does. Partially because Interstellar is like, because there's a sci-fi element. But like, you don't find characters like Matthew McConaughey in 
clever movies. Like somebody who cries that much. I oh, put it right. that way. I see what you're saying. Yeah. But I don't know if they're all like cool because where would you place then con man or heist movies? Cause those can often be, sometimes they're when David Mamet makes, you know, yeah. house of games or whatever, that's kind of cool. You know, um, or, you know, chilly, I guess. Yeah. But the sting or oceans 11 are, I think those are both very clever movies, but they're not distancing themselves from you with that coolness. They're very warm, sunny movies. Yeah. But I don't feel as though, um, I definitely okay. Uh, so wait, you brought up the Sting and Ocean's Eleven. Eleven. Okay, um, <clears throat> I do think that uh, there is a those. I think w- the filmmaking tone, specifically Ocean's Eleven. I think the way it's cut together and the way lines are delivered. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's not chilly in that like it's there's a, a dourness or anything like that. Um, but I definitely don't see. these aren't traditionally emotional characters. Like these are very much throwbacks. Um, and so like, even though Danny ocean is trying to like get his wife back and all that sort of thing, like at no point do we see any kind of emotional desperation. You know, there's characters are only ever, there's a little bit of concern if the plan's not going to go great, Mm -hmm. but that's basically it. And so I feel like, uh, I would definitely count, uh, oceans 11 as a, uh, a clever, movie um and just a a good example of one um because i think in that case i think it takes its its cues from the characters who by the nature of what they're doing they have to be a step ahead of everybody else same with the sting um Mm -hmm. but uh yeah and i mean both movies play the trick which i like of being very honest about the fact that the characters know more than the audience does yes uh, which Logan Lucky did as well. Um, and that's, I don't think that's a cheat. I think that's a, a really fun way of telling a story, yeah. a really fun way of keeping the audience. Um, as long as it doesn't go so far as to make them seem like they have superpowers, the, the characters, <laughs> right. Um, as long as when things do fall into place, you realize how it makes sense, at least within the world of the movie. There is a, uh, <clears throat> there's an episode of community that I was telling you about last week, uh, in which, the characters uh, take a class called Grifting 101, uh, taught by British actor Matt Berry. And when the characters are trying to figure out how to grift him, because it turns out his whole class is a grift, mm-hmm. um, they decide, uh, they, they turn to the character who knows a lot about movies. They're like, you know, how did they do it in this thing? It's like, well, you had... They, they built an entire room and then had hundreds of people who were able to work in perfect unison in se- complete secrecy. <laughs> and it's just like, oh yeah, I guess that is, it's very yeah. easy to grift when, uh, and then somebody mentioned, they said like, well, what about matchstick men? He goes, uh, there they faked an entire hospital. <laughs> and then someone's like so much construction. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, uh, so yeah, I know that one that you brought up last last week as an example of you know a film that because clever movies if you meet someone who a person who is clever either they're going to be a lot of fun or absolutely insufferable yeah and i like the usual suspects but i do think it's pretty pleased with itself yeah and i don't like i don't think it holds up that well having watched it i don't know within the last year or two Mm -hmm. i I probably watched it again um I mean, I still think a lot of, I like a lot of the things that Brian Singer does with the, with the camera. Yeah. Um, 
and then the ensemble is doing good work too. Uh, yeah, but uh, it, as far as plotting, it just doesn't hold up to me once you know. Yeah, it's. I mean, it it becomes fun to watch the characters interact, <laughs> but at the same time, like it's it's just robbed of. Yeah. Whereas there's a movie that I don't think is great. Okay. Um, called Shutter Island, but I do think there is a certain fun in watching it, knowing the twist. Yeah, I think so. Like the movie doesn't work in the same way. It can never work in the same way. It did the first time to the extent it does work. Right. Once you know the twist, but it actually kind of works in another way and becomes a whole different (coughs) bit of fun. Uh, and I guess that's what I'm talking about is that in terms of like, you could have figured it out, like knowing the twist in Shutter Island and watching it again, it almost seems too obvious. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yes. Uh, you know, like when, when characters are referencing what we now know is Mark Ruffalo's character and he's right there, it seems like, how did I not get that the first time? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's that, Which that I, is... I still put that one on my bad list cause I don't like the movie overall, but I don't know if it. I do think it works in a way. I think it works. Actually, I like it a lot more the second time I saw it than the first, uh, partially because you get to see it with these new glasses on. Yeah. But also I think, um, that's one I, I think of the, I compare that movie to inception quite a bit, not merely because of the presence of DiCaprio, but also like having lost his wife, you know, and just at its core, there's a similar thing, but I feel like, you know, the scenes in, uh, Shutter Island that deal with that I feel like are a lot more emotional and a lot more sincere and a lot more tragic than uh, than in Inception and so I think there's a lot of there's a lot of big melodramatic bombast in Shutter Island that I have come to really love and embrace even though yeah, yeah I don't think it's a film that I love I forget love that score I, yeah yeah. I forget the Scorsese directed it, but when you uh, watch yeah. like Cape Fear, it's like, no, of course he did. Yeah, and I love Cape Fear. I, I know some people think of that as lesser Scorsese, but I have always thought it was a blast. Um, so Usual Suspects is a uh, thumbs down. For me. Yeah. For you. Uh, now, I, uh, sorry, I know I'm dominating. But, That's fine. Um, I'm probably co- covering some of the ones that are on your list yes, anyway. Yes, undoubtedly. Uh, but it's... it's Speaking of Christopher Nolan being on both sides of my list, someone who's pretty evenly balanced out. Look, if you go down here and look at my negative list, you've got um, you've got Fight Club and you've got The Game. Mm-hmm. But if you go up to my positive list, you've got Seven and you've got Gone Girl. Mm-hmm. David Fincher. Sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. But I know I know a lot of people like The Game more yeah. than I do. Um, yeah, I, I certainly do. Um, but it definitely has that please with itself thing to me. I, I think it does. I, so much of this in, in looking at this, I found whether these movies work for me or not is so reliant on the performances, particularly the lead performances. And Michael Douglas in the game is great. Like he just, he commits a hundred percent. Uh, and, at no point is he we- winking like he is he's constantly trying to figure it out as opposed to ever going with the flow or thinking he has it figured out like it's a it's a very sincere performance in the midst of a film that is yes very manipulative um but let me put this out there when i was thinking of cleverness as a tone mm-hmm. one thing that I, I forgot to write it here but one thing that i came to is the 90s <laughs> yeah I feel like there's a lot of cleverness in the nineties. Yeah. I mean, we mentioned usual suspects. Yeah. And I mentioned 
seven, which I don't know. Do would you? I mean, seven has a it has a big reveal. Everything falls into place type of ending. So I, I, to me, it, it counts. Um, but I don't know if you uh, consider it. Yeah, there's a whole new. Uh, for those who listen to the movie journal, there's a whole new sound going on outside Tyler's home. I have no idea what that is. There's a banshee outside. Sorry, everybody. They, uh, they can't hear it. Yeah, I can't figure out what that would be. Like a generator? Maybe. Someone running a generator? There was, you know what happened uh, actually a few days ago? Um, there was a fire across the street, oh. like an actual fire. And so there have been all kinds of As like weird... As opposed to... I mean, like it's it's not. It wasn't like a little brush fire or something okay. like this. This was a fire in somebody's apartment, right. you know. Uh, and so there have been all manner of weird sounds as people have been cleaning up and oh, okay. reassessing. So maybe it has to do with that. I don't know. It seems a little bit late at night for that, um, or it could just be somebody, you know, wailing. I don't know. But I think it's. I think it's a bit of machinery. Um, yeah, if someone's been wailing this long, they uh, should out for american idol because that's, <laughs> that's a lot of vocal stamina because i do yeah cause, and i feel like this is the next big thing uh just just <laughs> stained <laughs> wailing um but yeah and so <laughs> what are you laughing at are you just imagining I'm just this picturing that, yeah. <laughs> yeah um so yeah uh <clears throat> seven i don't know if i would consider it clever um it's it almost feels like it belongs in a genre of its own because it's it's a it's a cop drama, it's a horror film, and but it definitely it feels like Brad Pitt shows up in a lot of these. I feel like his tone he yeah. has a really good, clever tone for good or ill. You well, know, you know what Seven is? What's that? It's the it's almost like well, no, I guess this is more Fight Club, but when making my list of bad movies, I kept thinking about adaptation and Nicholas Cage's brother's script. Oh, shit. The three or whatever it's called. <laughs> yeah. It's so many of these are that yeah. whereas seven kind of fits into that. Um, uh, at least in the term that it sense that it's a violent, like serial killer thing that has a reveal about who the serial killer is and his connection yeah. to Brad Pitt, by which I mean, uh, that he killed his wife. <laughs> um, yes. Yes. Uh, but here's how you can tell it's a clever movie because for most of the movie, John Doe does not have the upper hand, but then at one point John Doe gains the upper hand. Oh man. And Morgan Freeman. How do we find that out? <laughs> well, Morgan Freeman says John Doe has the upper hand. I wish I could do a Morgan Freeman impression because it's uh the cadence uh, is very, it's, it's a, I think that's a, it's a tough line to sell, Yeah, but it's rough when you know Morgan Freeman's cadence. I think you John know, Doe has uh, that hand. Yeah. Like now I sound like a 1940s like announcer or something. Yeah. Do you know like the uh, tired wired meme on Twitter? Like this thing's old, this thing's new and cool. Oh, so no. what's in the box? Tired. John Doe has the upper hand wired. Oh, okay. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. So that's like the what's hot, what's not. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What was that? What was that? That thing in Entertainment Weekly? I don't think they have it anymore. Oh, but no. Uh, you remember what I'm oh, talking yeah. about? Oh, yeah. I didn't like it. I, I hated it. I don't remember what... And, and it seemed based on nothing. Yeah, but it was... It was um, based on the one... The name of it was based on one's last name, wasn't yes. it? Yes. But now I don't Jessica recall. something? The one who wrote it? The listeners will know what I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, okay. 
but yeah, it's uh, there is just okay. So here I have Fight Club, um, and then there's yeah. Ocean's Eleven. There's seven. These are all nineties. Well, Ocean's Eleven is too. Ocean's Eleven, too. Yeah, I thought you were still doing the nineties thing. Because no, I'm name. doing I'm doing Brad Pitt. Honestly, oh okay. Um, I don't oh, know what it is. Well, another one that fits into both <laughs> both nineties and Brad Pitt that's on my list is Twelve Monkeys. Sure, um, sure. that has a, a crazy reveal of an ending. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and it's there is just a. And maybe it's because he came up in the 90s. And so if there was any movie that was going to be seen as kind of cutting edge, like, well, we've got this guy who's he's very good looking. He just he's a very he has a very modern kind of cadence. And so, yeah, we'll we'll make this work. Mm-hmm. You're still thinking about that noise outside? <laughs> very much so. I almost want to take a break so I can see what it is. So I know if it's going to end because it might be driving our listeners insane if they they might hear it. I don't know. Yeah, maybe they do. Maybe we just have to keep talking then. It changed pitch. It right, did. Can't, they can't hear it, which means I know. this is Sorry, stupid. everybody. Um, now it stopped. It's, it's gone. Okay. And I'm sure it'll never, ever come back. Unde- <laughs> Absolutely. Um, okay. So uh, I will jump to, because we're in talking about, okay, so we've talked about like certain filmmakers. We've talked about certain, a time, which is the 90s. Talked about certain actors. Uh, I'm going to jump, I will jump to David Mamet. Okay. Um, you know, as a as a playwright, he didn't really do this. And then as a filmmaker, I don't know what it is because he he was always fascinated with like magic and stuff. But I don't know what it was. But starting with you know House of Games, not really so much in Homicide, but like Spanish Prisoner, even State in Maine, and uh, certainly Heist and Spartan. Yeah. It's just it's what he was interested in, and. I think for the most part it's good, but every once in a while, certainly in his dialogue, the, the cleverness was very much reflected in his dialogue. Yeah. Even lines that, there are lines that I enjoy the way they're delivered, but in heist especially, yeah. it's like, what? What is, yeah, it doesn't mean anything. Yeah. Yeah. Like everyone, everyone likes money. That's why they call it money. It's like, that yeah. word has no meaning. Yeah. Um, or don't you want to hear my last words? I just, I did. just did. Like, who would ever ask that? <laughs> Thank God he said that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like it, uh, David, yeah. if you shot me uh-huh. right now yeah. and you were standing over me as I die, I wouldn't ask you the person that shot me. Don't you want to hear my last words? Yeah. If anything, if I was going to ask, I'd say, do you want to hear my last words? Because if you say don't, it's like, isn't it a foregone conclusion right. that you wouldn't want to, that, that you would want to, but, uh, yeah, just there's, everyone's just <laughs> setting say, each other up. Don't you want to hear me speak many, many more words for years to come? <laughs> I, I don't want any words to be, <laughs> yeah. I'm not like ready to admit that any words are my last words. <laughs> I guess that's true. Yes. Um, and it does make me wonder like, uh, what was that character going to say? I bet he had something really profound. Um, but yeah, so, and then, uh, do you, do you like all of these clever mammoth movies? Um, well, I've never loved, uh, uh, house of house of games. I think we've talked about you and I did an episode of criterion cast many, many years yeah. ago, uh, with, with Moises where we did, uh, it was the, the rare or at least rare at the time criterion cast double feature where we talked about house of games and homicide, yeah. which I had at that point never seen. I watched homicide for the podcast. And I think homicide is to this day, my favorite David Mamet movie as a director, at least. 
Um, I don't know. Spartan's but, up there. I like Spartan uh, a lot. I do, I do. Yeah. Spartan's number two. Um, then Red Belt. No, I don't like Red, Red Belt. <laughs> um, uh, what else? Anyway, yeah. Uh, <coughs> Hustle Games, I think part of it that is that I... Um, there are certain actors who I think get too hemmed in by David Mamet's dialogue. And I think, um, is it Lindsay Krause? Lindsay Krause. I think she's one of them. I think her performance comes off or the character comes off as, um, way more sealed off than she should be. Cause she's supposed to be vulnerable. She's supposed to have been charmed by this. And I don't, I don't buy at any point that anyone has gotten through to her because she's, she's her, her, her dialogue, her dialogue and her performance is way too mannered. There comes, there comes a moment where you feel as though she is starting to get into this and kind of playing a character like, Oh, this is how these people talk. I, I will try that as well. But even then I just, it, it doesn't like on one hand it's mannered, but it's also kind of flat mm-hmm. and it doesn't help that she is surrounded by mammoth veterans who yeah, know who how know to, to do, do yeah. his dialogue, including Joe Mantegna, who I think delivers it wonderfully. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think that's, and I think that goes to what I was saying that like, if you have a bad lead performance in these movies that, that they probably won't work. There's a lot I love about House of Games. I love the story. I think the script is solid, and I like a lot of the performances. But it's it is hard to embrace because of Lindsay Krauss, who's been good in other things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She's she's been good doing mammoth dialogue in uh, the verdict, but he didn't direct. Oh it. right, yeah, yeah, she is good in that. Um, yeah, who else? Uh, any other filmmakers we can talk about that come up more than once? Here? I mean Hitchcock. I feel like there's, yeah. you know, I think there's a lot of cleverness in rope. Um, some people don't like it. Some people do. I think I do. I like, um, yeah, I like rope. Um, but the cleverness part of it, which is like trying to give the impression of the one. Oh, thing, sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. A lot of people no, don't no. like that. Um, I, I don't I'm mind okay that. That's what, like he would always, he would often try things. I think, and I give him credit. Obviously, I've like so magnanimous to me. Like yeah. I give Alfred Hitchcock credit. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> um, but he tried things. Uh, he he was willing to experiment with the yeah. with, with the camera sometimes. Um, and I think to me that one works, even though it's I'm not fooled by. I, I can I, yeah. I know exactly where the cuts yeah. are. Um, but like, then there's mm, he's suddenly there. The camera's very interested in this person's back. Yeah. Uh, but then there's another one in one of my least favorite Alfred Hitchcock movies, at least it's been forever since I've seen it. I have your copy cause I've been meaning to rewatch it for a long time. Uh, for yeah, like was, a year and a half. You've so. had it for a while. Yeah. I need to give, I need to watch it. Um, but the birds I've never really liked. And there's a part in the birds with the gas, uh, uh yeah, on fire where the camera, because of the gas, the fire is like moving toward a car, I guess. And it's going to explode. Yeah. Or is it, is it uh, a gas, gas station? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, so you realize, Oh no, it's going towards the gas station. And so he should like, he positions the camera for the reaction shots. He positions the camera at different points along the path of the gas. Yeah. And it's, it doesn't work. It's so jarring because he breaks the 180 degree line rule by doing that. Uh, and he basically, he shoots Tippy Hedren like, I think from the same angle, but her, but he cuts and it's like, they're still shots yeah. of her head facing a different way every, every time. And she's clearly following along yes. the gas and I get it. 
Yeah. I get what he's trying to do. It doesn't work. work. It's jarring as hell. Yeah. It seems like something very much out of like 1920s Russia when they were experimenting with editing. And, but, and it's just smack dab in in the middle of this film that he clearly wanted to be seen as kind of naturalistic. That's why there's no music there. Right. Yeah. And so, Um, yeah, it really doesn't work. But there are a couple, I don't want to rag on, obviously, one of the great things about Hitchcock is that he, I don't think he invented the idea of the MacGuffin, but he popularized yeah. that term. Um, and that sort of, to use, to go back to the magic thing with David Mamet, that, that misdirection, mm-hmm. um, or, you know, saying, uh, this thing is important, but it's, it's, it's not, it's just the yeah. thing that allows everything else to happen. Uh, so that's great. But I also want to talk about a couple of Hitchcock things that don't work. Okay. You know, you and I are in agreement that the, like the very end of psycho with the over explanation is annoying. Yes. Well, you, uh, you obviously weren't here when we did the TCM film fest wrap up. Cause I saw spellbound for the first time oh, okay. and spellbound, which I've is, never, never seen actually. It's just a feature length version of the end of psycho. Oh, it's so much. It had it like, uh, I wrote this in my, in my, um, uh, write up, which you can find, you can find most of my TCM classic film fest coverage on the website. Maybe by now you can find all of it, but, uh, it has this great dream sequence that was designed by Salvador Dali. Mm. But then you get like during or afterwards, you get an explanation of a literal explanation of what every single thing in the dream sequence represents. Like, Mm. Oh, there were eyes painted on the curtain because of this. And they were playing this game because of this. And this thing that he was holding represents this. And then this, and it's like, and I I said, it's like, uh, it's like one of the hidden pictures games in highlights magazine. Yeah. Um, uh, so yeah, uh, I'm glad we brought up Hitchcock on this episode. One of the Kings of this to talk, so I could talk about epi- yeah. issues that I don't like, <laughs> but then stuff like North by Northwest, uh-huh. um, is very clever. Again, yeah. there's a situation where the lady vanishes is one, which yeah. I've actually, I've never seen that one. See I've it. heard I would love it. It's, yeah. It's um, great and very funny. And I think notorious, I, I do think that again, I think there are certain, actors that can play this type of clever very well. And I think Cary Grant is one of them. So when you get stuff like notorious or North by Northwest, you know, there's this charm, but also a, a devilish kind of charm that I think he pulls off very well and it works and it makes his character somehow is like, Oh, he's the lead and he's likable. And yet somehow he's an absolute cad and Uh I don't like him at the same time. Um, which I'd say is uh, kind of characteristic of a clever person. Um, so, uh, so let's see. I do think speaking of older directors, I do think there's a certain cleverness to Orson Welles. Um, a, another guy who is fascinated well, by magic. It's more by Tom Foolery. <laughs> <laughs> Inside. That's fun. Um, but I think of all of his films, I definitely think F for fake is the one that is yeah. the, the cleverest in the most self-conscious way. Yeah. And I say that in a good way, but it's like, and it's probably my second favorite of his. I think it goes, Amberson's F for fake, then Kane for me, okay. <laughs> my favorite Orson Welles movies. Then maybe touch of evil. I really like Othello though. That's and up there. You've not seen 
Chimes at Midnight. I haven't right? seen Chimes oh, at Midnight. Boy. Yeah, so good. You'd love yeah. it. Okay, maybe yeah, and that'll be the next one on the list. What else? I've seen, Mr. Arcaden. Yeah. I've seen The Stranger, which I think is kind of uh, underrated. Yeah, Macbeth. Um, I've never seen his Macbeth. Mm, yeah, I have it. I can I can lend you all of these things. Um, there's of course, uh, oh hell, Lady from Shanghai. Oh yeah, that's a good one, yeah. and that's one. Well, that fits this. That's that the one that one fits, it, yes. it, especially in the sense that. I mean, it's it. That movie almost outsmarted me. I think I told the the story because I saw it with my wife uh, <coughs> in Mexico, actually in Merida, Mexico. <laughs> they were showing it, and we went to a screening of it. And like on the wall, we were walking to like a bar afterwards, and we were like, "What happened there?" And like we yeah. kind of talked about it. And like, okay, okay, I think I understand what happened in Lady <laughs> from Shanghai, yeah. but it doesn't really matter. It's like the big sleep, I guess, like that. Is that I, I absolutely, uh, at my, at my talk at the, uh, Christian film fest recently, I got to tell that fun story uh-huh. from the big sleep and yeah. talk about how like, yeah, film noir story is important, but it's not the only thing. Uh, it's really just a, a an excuse to hang like all this style on these characters yeah. and this type of dialogue on. Yeah. Um, would you say Billy Wilder by and large is a, is a clever director? Uh, I don't know. Is he ever trying to outsmart? Like, I feel like he sometimes maybe a witness for the prosecution. You know, I haven't seen that in so long. Um, I remember liking it a lot. I mean, it's based on an Agatha Christie novel. So of course there's going to be an element there. And I think they, uh, it was, they showed it at TCM fest this year. I didn't go because, I try to always just see new stuff that's new to me sure, at TCM sure. Fest, um, including one that I should have put on this list, uh, The Taking of Pelham 123, I saw, which yeah. is a very clever movie. It is. In a way that you don't expect. Like, we, and I'm repeating myself because uh, uh, Scott and Julie and I um, talked about this, but um, uh, it, what I love about Taking of Pelham 123 is that them getting the the money, mm-hmm. the the ransom is only like half of the story. Yeah. And the second half is how are they going to get out of the, the tunnel? Yeah. And it's another one where they know more than you do. They obviously have a plan. Uh, that's a really, really good movie. And I think it's, I think the film kind of undercuts its obvious cleverness in, in a good way by having the main character be Walter Matthau, yeah. who is, who, who does not seem stupid, but there's just, he's, such a schlub. Yeah. Uh, and it's, that, also, it's so daring to me that <laughs> the hero of this story spends most of the time sitting in, sitting in one room talking. Yeah. It's not until the very end that he goes out yeah. uh, into the, into the streets. He's not like, he's not, uh, he's not John McClane and Die Hard with a Vengeance, which might <laughs> yeah. qualify for this list running all over the city. Yeah. You know, uh, do you like with, do you like Die Hard three? It's not, it's not bad. I think it definitely, I mean, none of the films, regardless of, of John McClane and like, oh, he experiences pain. None of the movie's been remarkably realistic. Right. Uh, but I think the third one is when it really begins to be silly and mm. almost cartoonish. Yeah. Um, one thing I was going to say about Taking Pill in 1, 2, 3 is that it's, it's fun that this thriller ends with a scene between Walter Matthau and Martin Balsam. Like, uh-huh. as, as every thriller should. Like these, <laughs> these, yeah. old, these older actors. Well, don't forget Jerry Stiller. That's right. Is it Jerry Stiller? Is it, uh, isn't it Jerry Stiller who goes with him to the apartment at the end? I think so, yes. Yeah, I'm pretty sure yes. it is. Um, it's not you thinking. It's not Dick O'Neill. 
No, because he's it's, not a cop. He's right. The, it's, he's the yeah. I think it's Jerry Stiller. Yes. yes. Um, so okay. Um, bouncing around. So again, most of these are thrillers, but I think there's also, I think there are also movies that, again, take their clever tone from their main characters, and I think All About Eve, which is a. Have you seen All About Eve? Nope. Oh my gosh. You would love it okay. as a theater person. Oh, right. Um, and as somebody who just adores that old timey kind of dialogue and it's fucking George Sanders being the most George Sanders you've ever heard. Um, and so, uh, and his character is just, it's right up there with like, um, sweet smell of success. Just that level of acid, uh, in what mm. he says and yet it's so clever and so witty and there's no real, there's manipulation and stuff, but there's no real like twists or, or, or reveals. Um, it's all just emotional and relational manipulation. Um, and, but it's, it's written so beautifully and like it's, so it beat um, Sunset Boulevard for best picture. Mm-hmm. And while I think Sunset Boulevard um, is a better film, like you put those two movies together and it's like, all right, so I guess people, uh, I guess Hollywood in 1950 did not have a view, a good <laughs> view of itself or show business in general. Um, it's a, it's a marvelous film. And I think uh, ex- exceptionally clever. Um, well, I like that we're talking about um, <clears throat> stuff that, we're focusing on the positive. That's good. Staying positive, yeah. keeping it posy. Um, here's one though that I put on my positive list because it's such a good movie, but I also think it kind of belongs on the negative list because I don't think it works when you know the twist. Okay. Uh, and I don't think you've ever seen it. Uh, old boy. I have not. And you still don't know what the, I twist. don't, you I'm very really excited. Just, but at this point, like I know, you're living just, on borrowed time. I know, you just go just ahead and watch it. <laughs> yeah. Um, sort of Damocles is just hanging over. Me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, because I remember being blown away by it the first time I saw it. Mm-hmm. And then the second time, and it's still, uh, you know, it's, it's still Park Chan-wook. It's still well made and it moves along very nicely. But I did find myself kind of, I don't know, twiddling my thumbs a little bit for uh for for parts of the first one because there are whole scenes that are just like either boring or just plain uh off-putting mm-hmm. once you know what the twist is interesting so are there are there any uh, other movies that uh i know that we're not necessarily talking exclusively about twists i think we, have we done an episode about twists i don't think I don't we, know have. If we did um but are there any movies like that that like, oh, this is a perfectly fine movie, and then the twist is it either completely ruins it or in retrospect it ruins it? Um well the F for me, the aforementioned Matchstick Man, I hate the reveal sure. so much. Sure. Um because it because it just seems to completely obliterate the character work that was done. <laughs> yeah. Um and maybe if I watched it again, I'd have it, you know, I think about that sometimes. Like there was a movie on the recent movie journal that I, uh, said bad things about also 
someone near me in the screening room had really bad BO. And I'm wondering like, maybe I would have liked the movie better if I didn't like spend the whole time, you know, with my hand on my face. Um, uh, so maybe magic man, I was just in a bad mood and maybe that twist would work for me now, but I hated it at the time. Really hated it. Yeah. Um, I know that the film, the illusionist, I didn't necessarily hate I never that twist. Saw, I saw the, the animated movie. The illusionist. Oh yes, yes. No, that's what I'm talking about. Um, <laughs> no, the uh, who's it? Is it uh, Neil Berger? Is that the name of it? Yeah, the guy who made Limitless, right? Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, and I remember I liked the illusionist uh, for the most part, and then it has a twist. Except, and and maybe this counts like as the the bad kind of clever. It has this twist, and the film really seems to think. Yeah. Can you fucking believe it? Like, yeah. Everything about this movie telegraphs this twist from the beginning. Hmm. Do you, you really thought we weren't going to predict this? It's, uh, I don't know. It's, it, but again, it's, it's a good movie and the twist is merely fun. The twist is fine. Mm-hmm. The twist makes perfect sense within the reality of the movie. But he seems to think that he's really got you here. And, uh, yeah, it just uh, didn't, um, didn't work for me. Well, that reminds me of a movie that I don't like that everyone else likes. Uh, speaking of Christopher Nolan, The Prestige. Which I do like quite a bit, yes. And that, to me, that it wasn't even the twist that lost me. It was so early on that it lost me because the entire rest of the movie after the wife dies mm-hmm. doesn't happen if he just looks at the knot on on her body. Do you know what I mean? Right. Because the whole thing is about, you're not supposed to use this kind of knot. Yeah. Did he use that kind of knot or what happened? If he looks, which why wouldn't he, after having multiple conversations about what kind of knot to use, yeah. and then your wife dies because presumably he used the wrong knot, you're not going to check and see what kind of knot he used? It bugged me that I couldn't get into the entire movie except for when David Bowie was in it because, sure. because the whole thing depends on, I guess it's Hugh Jackman not doing what he would do. Yeah. What I any think person so. would do in that situation. I think after a certain point, you know, the character even says like he doesn't care about his wife. He just cares about hurting the other person. So like after a certain point, it's like, okay, well now it's not about his wife, but for a while it was. Yeah. And I still like the prestige and I still like the, I, I love the character work and I think Hugh Jackman's doing really great work and I think visually it's good. Um, but yeah, it's, it's hinged on somebody not doing what anybody in the world would do. Yeah. It in really fact, bugged me. The, it's thing number one you would do. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk. Okay. As long as we're being mean. Um, okay. A couple others. Here's a movie that I think is actually a good movie, but the clever part of it I hate and doesn't work is looper. We've talked about how much sure. of the time travel stuff is. I mean, I, I try to give some of a pass to time travel, yeah. but now which clever part bothers you? Uh, just the idea that someone can chop off someone's leg in another time and then they immediately lose their leg. No, yeah. they never would have had it. Right. It does. It's, it's so stupid. It's such a, it's something that bothered me about the movie frequency. Um, yeah, but frequency is on my positive list cause I liked frequency, but it's the same thing. Like a character is going to like hurt somebody. That's right. And That's then right. he gets yeah. his hand blown off or something and is like, and his hand is gone. And it's like, yes, but 
he would have never had that hand and he would not have seen I'm going to yeah. hit him with my stump as a viable option. Yeah. Yeah, um, that's true. If anything, it'd be cool if he suddenly had a hook hand and it's like, Oh no, it's still, it's still bad. But oh, um, yeah. Yeah. Wouldn't that be cool? That would be cool. And yeah. Like, I never oh, liked man. that movie cause I just like the father son dynamic. Yeah. I like the actors. Yeah. Um, the down, da- the, the problem with that thing in looper, cause yes, I absolutely agree with you is that sequence is so good, right? It's cool. And yeah. like nightmarish. Um, but I remember our, do you remember our friend from back in Springfield, Missouri, our friend Keith, mm-hmm. uh, he, I remember he pointed out once, like how crazy is it that like of all the time travel movies, the one that makes the most sense is Bill and Ted's excellent adventure. Yeah. <laughs> um, even though it kind of doesn't too. Cause like, uh, wouldn't you have read in history books about the time that a, uh, phone booth showed up and stole Billy the kid in the middle of a bar fight? Like, wouldn't that have like eventually, but maybe you can say like, maybe they said, like, oh, that doesn't really fit into the mythology. Let's just leave that yeah. out. Yeah. But in terms of the whole, like the way they get, cause all the, uh, historical figures get arrested mm-hmm. at the mall. Yeah. Um, and the way they get them out is so clever. I don't which, remember how they get them out. Basically they say, even uh, I, they say, all right, when we're done here, we have to go be- take the phone booth, go back right. two days, steal your dad's <laughs> keys, hide them behind this sign, and then they'll be here when we get here. And then they just look behind the sign and it's like, hey, well, I guess we remember to do it. Yeah. And, <laughs> and they do it that way. Uh, I don't know if, entirely if that works. I don't think it works. It's, but it's, it's a paradox where it would have had to have always happened. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> there's a lot like of that the, to Bill and Ted. I think that there's some sort of destiny to them. The thing I like about Looper from a time travel standpoint is that it suggests that there, there's one time when it had to have gone this way uh-huh. and all that really needs to change is a person's awareness. And then they can change that, you know, as opposed to, which is to say the character kills the older version of himself mm-hmm. and then just continues and, and lives a good life, but he knows it's coming and that knowledge of that now, of course, one could say, well, we, he would always have that knowledge of it. But, you know, as long as a character knows that time travel is possible and that and decides he's going to change, then he can. Um, but as long as the, as opposed to like Harry Potter, we never see what it would have been otherwise. Uh-huh. And then someone makes a decision to go back in time. Um, like the circle happens immediately. Um, yeah. Which I guess is how it would happen. Yeah. I don't know. I don't I know. Think, about honestly, I think, uh, probably the one that does it best is Futurama where, uh, Fry goes back and becomes his own grandpa uh-huh. because he does have a grandpa who impregnated, uh, his, his grandmother. And then he, then he goes back in time, accidentally kills his grandfather. And, but that's the thing he should have had sex with his grandmother first and then <laughs> killed his grandfather. Okay. That's what should have happened, but whatever. <laughs> Um, let's talk about some more bad ones. Okay. Uh, I don't know. Where do you stand on identity? It's ridiculous and stupid, stupid, but I, I view it as an exercise in just tone and mood and it's got a good cast. It's got a great cast. Yeah, it is a fun movie, but in terms of, but is it clever? No, it's pretty stupid. It's, it thinks it's very clever. (laughs) Yeah. Very clever indeed. Yes. But, um, well, this brings me to the the worst of these. Okay. Or at least the worst that I've seen, uh, which is the um, John Woo, Philip K. Dick movie, Paycheck. Which I've not seen. Well, 
right. I know I've talked about this. I, mean, I think you have. And oh, is <laughs> this my favorite thing. Is this the he question leaves, mark thing? <laughs> yeah. Ben Affleck leaves clues for himself because Ben Affleck plays a character who does questionable things in terms of corporate espionage mm-hmm. and then has his memory erased. <coughs> um, so that he can't testify. I don't know. Whatever. He doesn't know what he did Mm -hmm. and he's not a liability, I guess, to the companies whose information he had. Uh, but one time he leaves himself some clues he goes to the hotel room after he's like, Hmm, I'm in a little envelope full of clues. Let me see what I got here. And he lays them out on the bed, all the clues in the shape of a question mark. I've not seen paycheck. I feel like I need to see it <laughs> just so I can see this thing. That is so astonished. That is so stupid. Yeah. Yeah. That is the, that's the opposite of clever. Yeah. Uh, what else? The number 23. I don't remember that. I well, didn't, I didn't see I it. Didn't care for it. I'm not a fan of enemy. Uh, some people, I know a lot of people are. Yeah. Uh, do, do we consider that clever? Um, I, I don't think it's trying to be. Yeah, but I, I don't know. I think there is, I don't know. I think there is a mystery to be solved, but then there are also things that aren't. Yeah. I think it's just simply trying to be surreal and deep and it, and it probably is. There are probably things that are worth delving into, but I, at no point do I think it's saying like, ah, what do you think of this? Yeah. I don't um, think I don't think Villeneuve is the, Villeneuve. Pardon me, Villeneuve. Villeneuve. Uh, I don't think he's actually a clever filmmaker. I think he's way too dour for that. Um, but yeah, I'll take uh, I'll take his last couple of movies over a lot of faux clever movies. Sure, sure. Um, all right, we should probably wrap up here. But there's a couple. Here's something. Okay. Oh, I remember what I, when I when I when I thought of movies that are a game. Mm-hmm. Uh, one I thought of, which differs in some ways from what I want to talk about, but I know you and I are both big fans of cellular. Yes. Uh, and that movie to me feels clever because it, uh, it has a a game like mentality in the sense that it, it imposes restrictions and rules on itself, Mm -hmm. you know, like, yes, everything has to happen. Like depends on the capability of the cell phone and Kim Basinger's character is limited by the fact that her phone can only call the one (laughs) number, you know, uh, and so it sets these limitations, um, which I guess, I guess phone booth, which was also written by Larry Cohen yeah. did as well, but I didn't like phone booth as much as I like Kiefer Sutherland in phone booth, but I, I like phone booth more from a character standpoint, <clears throat> but I think as far as thrillers go, uh, cellular is just, it, it's pure popcorn, but it's, yeah, it's so, so much fun. It's just so functional and great. And I'm also just a big fan of Kim Basinger being in movies, which yeah. it seems like, I don't know. Just there's so many. She was in uh, the nice guys, but that was like two or three years ago at this point. Yeah. Uh, there's just that, um, that whole thing that Rosanna Arquette made the documentary searching for Deborah Winger about mm-hmm. how like actresses get to a certain age and some of them continue to work and there's just fewer roles and they can't all make it. And that's why we go like yeah. 10 years with barely any Michelle Pfeiffer movies or convincing yeah. movies, you know? Uh, and that's too bad. Um, I'm glad Michelle Pfeiffer seems to be back. Which yeah, between like Mother and Murder on the Orient Express, and then and she had that HBO thing with Robert De Niro yeah. about Bernie Madoff. I forget what it was called. Yeah, I don't recall. But um, yeah, yeah, I hope that she's she's around. Um, and yeah, I was such a uh, I was such a big fan of Kim Basinger. I do also wonder, and this is something that uh, I think we've talked about before. I wonder if there. Are, I think there are just some actors and actresses that are seen as 
as such a function of their time that once we've moved past that, like Steve Gutenberg is, it was a good actor and, a, and a actually a pretty solid comedic yeah. presence. But I think people, everyone just decided we're moving on from the eighties. Do you ever wonder who now sure. is like that? Cause I, I was really thinking not Steve Gutenberg, but you and I or on the movie journal. I happen to mention Ralph Macchio. I don't remember mm-hmm. that. I mentioned Ralph Macchio on the, or was I, that at the beginning of this episode? I don't remember. It's sometime tonight. We yeah. recorded them back to back. Uh, I mentioned Ralph Macchio and I was thinking about him. Like he seems to have like, he's, uh, he's got the Cobra Kai show, which mm-hmm. is apparently a hit on YouTube red now. Um, but yeah, he was great. Like my cousin Vinny is great. Yeah. Uh, he's, he's great in the karate kids and the outsiders, kids, the outsiders. Yeah. And then, yeah, I, as we, decided we were yeah. see we were Thomas Howell. Uh, it, it happens yeah, so, with the eighties, but it's obvious for us to see that Yeah, because you know, um, yeah. So who's like <clears throat> headlining? It would have to be like youth oriented, like yeah. movies now. Um, I don't know. I think an argument could be made that Zach Efron isn't going to be around. I don't uh, know. I, I, I think I, he's a good actor. They're always good, but I also feel like how long does a certain, does a person have to be around before the jury's not out anymore? Like Zach Efron's been around, and making movies forever. Like yeah. going back to the Disney channel, you know, like, and I feel like Zach Efron also has a lot of respect from, uh, people like in the business older and, uh, have been mm-hmm. in the business longer, you know, like, yeah. you know, professional, like Seth Rogen clearly likes working with him. Sure. Um, I know, uh, I've heard Thomas Lennon say nice things. So they, they did that, um, 17 again that movie oh, yeah, together yeah. which i never saw nor did i um but i remember seeing thomas lennon i think yeah. he was on like Doug, the douglas <laughs> movies podcast or something yeah. and he was saying nice things about zach efron so i think he'll stay i i, I think it's going to be someone i think because he, i this might just be an issue not because of the time but because of just i think of him so much as a younger actor i'm interested to see how he'll transition to playing like full-on adult roles yeah. Like in his thirties and forties and that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, I have a hard time knowing exactly who now, um, you know, uh, for example, like Sean William Scott is somebody who in the yeah. late nineties, 2000, he still works and he's actually going to be coming back. Yeah. He's coming back in uh, lethal weapon, which is great. I mean, I've, for him, yeah. I've been a Sean William Scott fan. Like from the, I think he was sort of cursed to be associated with Stifler, but also that was obviously a blessing. It gave yeah. him a lot of, um, but like I, someone recently, uh, back when Goon Two came out, he was interviewed on a hockey podcast I mm-hmm. listened to, um, and he was kind of talking how strange it was when the first Goon came out to be in a movie that critics liked. Like he had sort of yeah. like, in a, in a way, like been made peace with and resigned himself to the fact that uh, a lot. Which it sounds like a, I didn't. I, he didn't say it this way. That's the way I phrased it. Cause it sounds entitled to say he's resigning himself to be, to the fact that he's in movies that people love, yeah. <laughs> you know, people love him, but, uh, uh, it just seemed like, uh, yeah, he was always going to play some variation on Stifler, even when he's in something great, like role models. Yeah. Um, which actually was a critically pretty well received movie. So, uh, I poke a hole in song showing him Scott's argument there. Yeah. Um, he's still playing the Stifler type even in the rundown it's kind of you oh know, no question it, yeah it's very stifler based yeah uh dude where's my car which i think is a yeah. uh underrated an underrated movie um, perhaps there's something to explore more in another episode and maybe devote an entire episode to it um but okay. uh i've okay. got things i need to get to okay yeah go ahead here's one that came when i was 
this is almost going to be off topic, but it came up when I was looking for things to talk about in the movie on the podcast. More than one, one person talked about this, talked about the life of Pi as being this kind of movie. And here's what I'm going to say that I've been saying for what, six years now? Is that 2012? Yeah. Six years now I've been saying, if you see life of Pi and you, I guess minor spoilers for life of Pi. If you see life of Pi and you hear him tell the second version of the story at the end, the shorter version of the story, Mm -hmm. if you automatically assume that that's the real version of the story, I feel terrible for you. Hmm. I feel like you don't have any imagination. You don't have any appreciation of beauty. And maybe you don't dream when you go to sleep. (laughs) I don't know. Like I've been hearing people say that since the movie came out, like, well then the, you know, it's really heartbreaking when he tells the real version of the story. It's like, no, nothing in the movie you're you're nothing in the movie instructs you Mm. that that is the real version. He only refers to it as another version. The thing that is sad is that the other characters in the movie are more willing to believe the second version. That's what's sad. It's not sad because that's the real version. It it just, to me, because life of Pi was on my top 10, maybe my top five list of movies that year. I think it's, I think it's wonderful. I think it's one of Ang Lee's best movies. I love it so much. And when people have that, cynical interpretation yeah. of it. It really, like I'm not even mad at them. It really does break my heart. It, it, uh, it's a movie I keep meaning to do a more than one lesson episode about with the companion film of big fish, mm-hmm. which is, yeah, it's, yeah, I don't, I don't consider, uh, life of pie, a clever film at all, even positively clever. I yeah. I think it's trying to do more than that. Um, as yeah. opposed to like, Oh look, it's, it's like, there's, oh, there's these different versions of reality. Isn't that? No, it's, that's not the way I see it, but it does bring this up. Would you consider Rashomon clever? I don't think so. Okay. Um, because I feel like no, it's been a long time, but one of the traits that I talked about is the, like everything falls into place. Sure. And the thing about Rashomon is that it doesn't yeah. like, any one of those stories, versions of the story probably represent, probably have some truth in them. Right. You know what I mean? Yes. Um, so, uh, it's more about the not knowing than it is mm-hmm. telling you the whole movie. There's an answer here and then giving it to you at the end, right. which is not, I don't want to say that that's a, makes it a lesser movie. A lot of these movies are talking about that do that are great, but I don't think that that's what Rashomon is. Okay. Do you have anything else? Uh, I have a couple. Okay. Um, I would say, I think for a number of reasons, maybe po- uh, mostly positive, but maybe a little bit negative. I'd say Kiss Kiss Bang Bang is a clever movie on, again, every single level. Shane Black, I think, is good at that sort of thing. Um, in that there are reveals, but also just you have characters that are kind of aware of things. Um, I think actually in many ways, kiss, kiss, bang, bang is a nice precursor to the Deadpool films. Uh, and mm-hmm. the, the character is constantly referring to the fact that he's telling you a story and will go back and, uh, uh, retell it. Um, but I do think, uh, a film that is just an absolute delight to watch. And I think fits this description is the conversation. Um, Oh yeah. Which does have, not so much a twist as a, re- I guess it's a twist, but it's definitely a reveal. Um, and it's, 
but also like just throughout because we're dealing with people that that are that perpetually know more than everybody else around them because they have access to this technology they're always hearing things that other people aren't hearing um you're dealing with clever people in a clever industry and the film is all about a guy who was outfoxed mm-hmm. and it's uh and seems oddly at peace with it by the end of it it's uh or or i don't know at least resigned to it um man what a wonderful movie um so there was a whole subcategory I was going to go into that doesn't really count that are more because okay. I, I used the term mindfuck earlier. Okay. These are more mindfuck movies than they are clever. Um, Barton Fink, Mulholland Drive, Don't Look Now kind of straddles the line. Okay. Solaris, Eyes Wide Shut. Sure. You know, like yeah, I was going to bring absolutely. those up as sort of like these aren't what we're talking about, but they have some of the DNA. Yes, I think so. Um, but yeah, they, it's they almost want to take cleverness to an existential uh, level. <laughs> right, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I agree. Uh, and then I was also, uh, when I mentioned old boy earlier, I was going to use to get into a number of foreign films. We didn't, didn't talk about, but hero is one that has a, uh, I mean, it's a, uh, you know, hero, I think is remembered as this sort of like grand, yeah. you know, uh, rainbow color into like, mm-hmm. uh, epic, but it has, it does have like a twist or a reveal. Yeah, that's true. It's a pretty big deal. And I think works very well. Um, that's a movie that I feel like was like all anyone talked about for months mm-hmm. when it came out. And now I feel like no one talks about hero anymore. It's Let me really, suggest really going back to what we were talking about before. Maybe Jet Lee is somebody that had a moment for several years, at least in this country for several years. And then just, yeah. Went away. Yeah, I guess that's true. Um, but that's not uncommon for like martial arts stars. Um, I think, uh, the, the skin I live in is a very, um, uh, twisty Hitchcockian type of thing. Mm-hmm. That it's, but in true Amadouar fashion, a more, and yeah. e- I'm going to say an even more perverse version of Hitchcock because Hitchcock okay. could be pretty perverse himself. Yes. Um, but, uh, Amadouar doesn't, you know, work that much in subtext. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's not a complaint. I, I, I really love Pedro Amadouar. Um, uh, and, and actually, uh, and bad education, I think is, uh, is oh, a, yeah. speaking of Hitchcocky and stuff, but, uh, that one I think has a, yeah. a cleverness to it. And there's a th- I think there's a bit of a mind fuckery to it. Um, and then there's an Argentinian film that I don't think you've seen. And no, I'm not talking about secret in their eyes because I've never seen secret in their eyes. I only saw, sorry, the secret in their eyes is the Argentinian one. Secret in their eyes is the dull as dishwater American one that I saw and then, uh, got a flat tire in the way home, uh, and got a flat tire on the freeway. And I was like, shit, I better get off and like got most of the way down the off ramp and realized my car's not going to go. I'm going to fuck up my car if I keep yeah. trying to drive. So then I was like, okay, I'm going to have to change this tire. I had, a, I had a spare. And so I went to start changing the tire. I'm on an incline and like I'm halfway up, like jacking up the thing and the jack just goes crunch, just like break <laughs> the car just like slides forward. Like I have what the, the jack breaks. And so I have to call triple a to come put on the spare tire that i have right in front of me but i have yeah. no way of doing it and so at this point like the guy the guy shows up i told you i drove most of the way like changed lanes and drove most of the way down yeah. the off-ramp so my tire is completely shredded so uh and i love this triple a guy or the guy so he gets out of the truck he's like how you doing and he looks at the uh tire and he's like 
do you want me to patch it or (laughs) 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 anyway that was secret in their eyes uh but no another argentinian film did you ever see nine queens no i've heard i heard great things about it. it's so good they remade it in america which i never saw uh with john c Riley. i think it was called criminal Oh yeah, yeah. Um, I didn't see it. Either. Yeah, I didn't see that. Uh, I don't remember hearing much about it. But uh, Nine Queens is so great, and the it has a sort of Hitchcockian MacGuffin type thing. The Nine Queens refers to like a rare stamp, yeah, uh, thing that everyone's after. It doesn't matter. It's just sure. uh, you know a series of double crosses. It's a very very cool movie. Um, I'm I'm not sure if I would consider Diabolique. Um, okay, uh, a clever film because. I think it deals a lot in like horror stuff and horror films can be clever, certainly, but the others maybe, right? You think so? Maybe. I mean, the others fits the bill in the sense that it is telling you something's going on here. There is a mystery to be solved here. And then it has a reveal. Yeah. At the end. When I think of clever movies, I think of movies that could very easily, you could fit a a nice baseline in. Uh, And I feel like the others would not uh, work. (laughs) Okay. I think, Um, yeah, I I, I think that's, your definition is more limited than mine. No, I know, I know. Um, But, uh, but Diabolique, um, have you, have you ever seen it? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I've seen it uh, once a long time ago. It's one, and I have the, the DVD, not the, because I think Criterion has, have they, Upgraded that to Blu-ray? I don't think so. Oh, so it's still just a DVD? Okay. Um, so yeah, I have the DVD, the uh, Criterion DVD. Um, and that's a movie, like, that's one of those movies on the short list of things that I'm often thinking, I should rewatch that. And then when it comes time to rewatch something, I grab something I've yeah. seen eight times already. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's a really great movie. And, and there's definitely this, this fascinating twist uh, at the end. I'm not sure if I would consider it a clever film. Mostly because yeah, it it's be. so, it's... Because but it, it has it, a mystery. It has a mystery. So to me, I mean, to me, yeah. if you have a mystery, you're already one step away from yeah. from clever. So you brought up Barton Fink as a mindfuck movie. It seems like there should be more Coen Brothers on this list, right? Yeah, but I yes, but also I think that <laughs> to a certain extent. Because we talked way back at the beginning of the episode, or beginning of this conversation, part of the episode, about what you call the knowing intelligence and what I called an awareness of the audience. Mm-hmm. And I think the Coen brothers are aware of the audience, but often I feel like they don't care what the audience thinks. That, I think that's definitely true. You know what I mean? So yeah. like, there's something to the, a lot of these movies that is toying with the audience that's drawing them yeah. in that's playing them along playing you know uh, dragging them along and i don't think the Coen brothers are particularly interested in doing that with their audience i think probably the closest one is blood simple mm-hmm. um which you know makes sense speaking of diabolique i feel like it it owes a fair amount to yeah, that. yeah um but yeah even stuff like even even stuff like man who wasn't there or intolerable cruelty or big Lebowski, um, things that have like a mystery or a con element. I I don't get this vibe from them really at all. Um, which is interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I mean, that's, that's kind of what I'm going with, with, uh, Barton Fink is that it has this, it has a reveal. It's like, but it's not like, 
You're not, you're not hitting yourself in the forehead going, oh, of course right. uh, Carl Munt is Satan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All the clues are there. I guess they kind of were. I still don't necessarily agree with that assessment. <laughs> Whatever. I think it could be Libnick, but either way. Uh, um, okay, okay. But uh, Miller's Crossing maybe a little yeah. bit, but because yeah. it's because the character has a plan. And he's yeah, that's kind, probably and the he's best kind one. of conning everybody. Yeah, because it uh, has that... Red Harvest, Fistful of Dollars, yeah. Yojimbo. Yeah, it's got all... Miller's Crossing. Is there, a, is there a fifth? Can we? Oh, yeah, there's Last Man Standing, the Bruce Willis movie. I never saw that one. It's not very good. Okay. And I remember there's a... <laughs> but I feel like there should be like a whole festival of that, because those are like Yojimbo, Fistful of Dollars, Miller's Crossing, and I guess Red Harvest is a novel. Right. But there should be a whole like festival of those kind of... I guess I just named it Triple Feature, because Red Harvest is there a you novel. Go. That's good. Do a night of of uh uh movies that wouldn't exist without red harvest and yet don't although miller Cr- crossing also owes as much if not more to the glass key um, oh, okay i don't know about that one it's uh, it's great it's really great um but uh but yeah so uh, i try i'm trying to think of i don't think there are any other i think we've covered everything on mine what about yours do you have anything negative uh oh any more negative ones sure um i mean nothing um I guess a beautiful mind is a negative one for me. Hmm. Um, I didn't care much for uh, split. There's a uh, lot. Um, there's a lot I like about split. I'm not me sure. Too. There's a lot. Of, I think every. <coughs> I think on their own, the scenes individually are uh, fantastically well directed. It just doesn't add up yeah. to anything for me. I. You know what? Maybe there are, I think there are clever elements and I think maybe the fact that there's anything clever about the film is to its detriment because mm-hmm. we're dealing with some pretty rough stuff here. But, uh, All yeah. right. what else is on here? A history of violence. Cause that has in a that, negative way. Uh, no, 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 sorry. Okay. I'm back in the positive way. Okay. Um, history of violence in the sense that it has the, the question of who he is. That That's true. Yeah. It, it's, two, it's actually two questions. Cause the question is, who is this? Mm-hmm. And the question, and the other question is, does he know who he is or is he pretending not to? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's, I have a hard time seeing that film as clever, even though there are plenty of reveals and there's, yeah. and it's toying with, you know, the characters with, with what we know and what he knows. And we're not a hundred percent sure. Um, I'm, I, I think I'll allow it, but I'm, I'm okay. reluctant. What about training day? I, that, don't, I don't think so. That has a lot of the uh, the the elements in the sense that uh, uh, Denzel's character is setting things up the whole day. So right. so many of the things that we maybe don't at the time don't realize are part of his plan. Yeah, become apparent once we realize what his plan is. But there's also the. I mean, I, you're obviously allowed a number of contrivances when you're making a clever movie. Sure, but the whole like the the girl that Ethan Hawke saved from being raped happens to be Cliff Curtis's niece. Yeah. Right. That's Los Angeles, a big city. That's a, that is a little bit of a, it's a big suspension of disbelief for me. It works for, I mean, I'm willing to spend my disbelief because I really like that movie. Uh, I'll allow it like once in a movie because like, yeah, things happen. It's weird. But I guess there is only that one. What was that? I mean, Training Day doesn't ask have any other big asks. Of I don't. You, yeah, right? I don't think yeah. so. Um, I do. I would say I don't consider it tra- Training Day one because we are there's a reveal, but it's just a reveal of corruption. It's a reveal of a character's nature. 
Um, but no, because all, all of a sudden the reveal that like all these things, like the uh, it's been a while since I, the big one is like making him smoke PCP, right? Because he's uh, setting it up and yeah. the whole yeah, all the um, the introducing him to Scott Glenn, Glenn's character yeah. earlier. Uh, is it clever if it's the villain doing it? And the and the and the lead is a hundred percent in the dark. But do we know that he's that much of a villain? Yes. <laughs> the whole time, you know he's going to be the big villain. Uh, and maybe that's maybe that's the reveal. But like it definitely, as you go along, like you you certainly know at he's an antihero, uh-huh. and then it, you you realize probably about I'd say halfway through, certainly at the beginning of Act Three, you know. Okay. At that point. But but nonetheless, whether he's a villain or not, he's not actually the lead. Ethan Hawke is the lead, regardless of what the Academy says. Um, yeah, that's right. I know. forgot about that. Yeah. If there's anything the Academy should go back and, and change. <laughs> um, but uh, Wait, yeah. who, um, you're saying they should literally give Denzel's Oscar to Ethan Hawke. Yes. <laughs> That would be an awesome. That would be an awesome 2018 move for the <laughs> for the new look Academy to make. <laughs> All right, uh, that's uh, fun. We should wrap up, and then while they're at it, they can be like, you know what? Actually, uh, James McAvoy is more the lead in Last King of Scotland. There you go. <laughs> then, well, also true. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, all right. You can find us at battleshippretention.com. You can email us at david at battleshippretention.com or tyler at battleshippretention.com. You can follow me, David, on Twitter at DavyPretension. You can follow Tyler at TylerPretension. Uh, uh, Tyler, your other podcast is called More Than One Lesson. Yeah, it is. Uh, it's not necessarily on hiatus. I just haven't put anything out uh, in a while. But uh, we do have episodes coming up about uh, Avengers Infinity War and uh, Annihilation. Uh, and... Uh, I don't have another podcast anymore, but uh, we do have this uh, website called battleshippretension.com, and you can find all sorts of stuff there. Um, like I said, some of my, my TCM Classic Film Fest review. You've got uh, Tyler's Deadpool 2 uh, review and my first Reformed review, and you've got Scott's On Chesil Beach review, which is a new Saoirse Ronan vehicle, uh, another... I think it's another Ian McEwan novel adaptation, uh, which is what made her famous, right? With hmm. Atonement. That's uh, Ian yes. McEwan, right? I believe I so. Um, you've got uh, Alex wrote about Celine and Julie go boating as part of his Criterion prediction column, which is great. That's, a, that's an amazing movie. And you've got Jim's uh, Jim Rohner's monthly Crossing the Streams column is up now, which where he tells you uh, what to watch on the various streaming services, mm-hmm. um, what's new, what's going away, what's recommended. So uh, check all that out at battleshipretention.com. And thanks for listening. We'll get you next time. Bye. Bye. This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet. 